Turn with me, if you will, back to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1, we'll look at verses uh, 6 through 14 today. Malachi 1, 6 through 14. We said last week Malachi is uh, a good book for all the waiting periods of history. We've heard of God doing great things in the past, but now it seems that nothing's happening. And it addresses some of the things that happened to us in those waiting periods. I guess everyone has sometimes listened to a pastor preach and thought, boy, he's one to talk. He ought to preach to himself. Well, that's you. If you've found yourself thinking that way, this morning is your fondest dream come true. For our text this morning is directed primarily to the clergy, the spiritual leaders of God's people. Malachi's situation, that was the priest. Today we don't have priests, but we do have those who lead God's people in spiritual things, pastors and elders. This is written primarily to the leaders. I've been quite conscious of that fact as I worked on this text. done everything possible to try to pass the buck and make it only apply to you, but I realize I haven't successfully done it, and it still addresses me and the leaders of this church. But before you get up and walk out and say, well, this doesn't apply to me, um, it does apply to you too. For you know, leaders are above everything else to be examples of what God's people ought to be, all of us. Plus, in Malachi's day and, uh, and in our own, one of the most powerful influences on leaders in the church has to do with the expectation of the people. Therefore, when God's people go astray in what they expect of their leaders, it is most difficult for the leaders to remain faithful. That's part of the problem in this text. God lays it at the feet of the leaders, but it's not only the leaders that are struggling to be faithful. Well, let's read it. Verse 6, let me read all the way to the end of the chapter. God is speaking here. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father... Where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? says the Lord Almighty. 
Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it. By saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled. And of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. There are two powerful lessons in this text, and they're, they're woven together throughout the text, so we'll skip around a little bit, but follow me. Two powerful lessons. The first is this. God despises expediency. God despises expediency. Now the word expedite is a word for our day. It speaks of getting things done now. Cut through all the red tape. Cut through all the, the, the procedure stuff. Accomplish something. Get it done now. Expedite it. We love people that can expedite things. But the word expedient or expediency is not such a great word. It begins to have a negative overtone. One of the definitions in my little dictionary says, expedient, based on or offering what is of use or advantage rather than what is right or just. Guided by self-interest. Now that's what's going on in our text. And that's what God hates when it creeps into our worship and our service of him. When we offer our service, when we base our worship on what works, what's to our advantage, rather than on what is right. In fact, any time our religious interest, our religious practice is guided by self-interest, God hates expedience. Now, if we look closely at the text here, we'll find that there are actually three different situations given here, three different variations on this theme, three examples of expediency at work. Let me just pick them out for you and show you. The first one is uh, in verses, the end of verse 6 down to verse 10, about offering uh, the, the blind and the uh, uh, lame animals and all. Here we see that God hates the rejects. What's going on here was actually quite simple. God's people were required to bring animals to the temple for the sacrifices as part of their worship. Now, what happened to those animals? They were brought in and they were, they were killed and, and either partially or totally burned up on the altar. And the part that wasn't uh, uh, consumed was uh, food for the priest to help support the priest. Now, you think about this. If you're a farmer, if you're a shepherd and you have a flock here, and it's your turn to bring a lamb to the temple, 
which one are you going to pick? Well, the people were doing probably what you and I would also be tempted to do. They were saying, well, there's this crippled one. There's this diseased one. There's this one that's got problems and I can't seem to fix. Let's take it. And the rationale was simple. Kill two birds with one stone. You, you weed out the weak stock from your flock and, and you satisfy the worship requirements all with one, <laughs> one animal. And the priests had come to accept that. For after all, they were the ones actually offering the sacrifices. Maybe they were trying to be nice since they ate what was offered. Maybe they were trying to not be demanding, demand the best. Maybe they were trying to be grateful for what they got. So what's wrong with an offering of a less than perfect animal for a sacrifice? I mean, what's... What difference does it make, really? Well, it's not lawful. God's law had specified that only unblemished animals were to be offered. And secondly, it's unworthy of the Lord. That's what verse 8 is about. Try offering the rejects to the governor sometime. The point is, you see, that the people had come to be ruled by the law of expediency, and the priests accepted that. The worship was not governed by who God is and what God had said. The worship was governed by what was convenient, what filled the square with the least effort and the least cost to them. And God despises that expediency. The second little scenario we have down in verse 12 and 13. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table it is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible, and you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. Here's another expression of the law of expediency at work. The priest had apparently come to hate, come to disdain, to sniff at or turn their nose up at the actual work of worship. Frankly, it seemed to have bored them. They considered it a burden. So we say, well, why did they continue? Go get another job, right? No, it wasn't that easy for you were a priest because you were born into a priestly family. So you can imagine the social stigma attached if you did something besides be a priest. Plus, this is their job. This is how they make a living. And so... They went through the motion. They offered the sacrifices. They filled the squares in the worship schedule. Happy when it wasn't their turn because it was a burden. God says, I hate being a burden to you. I hate that kind of half-hearted service that just fills the square." to save face. That problem's still around, by the way. Every once in a while, I'll see a survey of ministers. How many of you would go do something else if you had the training to do it? And it is always a staggering figure. Staggering figure. Many 
people doing things in God's name, from pastors and elders down to Sunday school teachers down to parents leading family worship that are just filling the squares, happy when it's over. Get it done. It's a burden. God hates it. He despises this expedient attitude toward worship. He despises it wherever he finds it. He hates expedience. He is not a burden. To worship him is not doing him a favor. He will not be considered that way. Well, then there's a third little scenario, not just bringing the... Uh, the uh, lame sacrifices and considering the Lord a burden, but down in verse 14, there's a third situation. There we recurse it as the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Apparently what's going on here is a quite a little different situation, uh, similar to the first but different. In fact, here's something that uh, we may be able to identify with, and this isn't uh, apparently uh, directed toward the priest necessarily at all. Here's a person who, in the midst of some difficult situation, in some time when uh, things are not going well, when they're crying out to God for, uh, for, for his help in some, some uh, profound way, they, they make, a, desi- uh, uh, they make a, uh, a, a vow to serve the Lord. They say, Lord... If you will help me in this time of need, Lord, if you will do this, or Lord, because of this, or whatever, I will give you this choicest uh, uh, animal from my flock, this choicest uh, sacrifice. And now, then, the Lord answers their prayer in whatever way, and now the moment of crisis has passed, and uh, they're down the road a ways, and it's time to do what was promised but they don't feel the weight of the crisis right now. And the cost of what they said was looking really big. And so they kind of have a change of heart. And instead of offering the Lord that choicest ram, they say, well, I could maybe just uh, get away with uh, one of those... uh, extra little ones that I have that aren't that good in my flock. They bring the cheap, the the blemished. Well, this sounds familiar to us. How many people in time of crisis have promised God great things? And then seeing how expensive it was going to be, actually paid him off with something that was a little less expensive. (laughs) Another example of expediency in worship. Promises kept in ways that are to our advantage. But God hates expediency. You see the issue here in these three little scenarios? The underlying issue is, are we fitting God and his requirements into our preconceived ways, what's convenient, what's easy for us, what profits us, what is comfortable for us? Or are we changing our system to fit into God's ways and what he says and what's worthy of him? 
Must God fit our schedule or will we fit his schedule? Must God conform to our ways or will we conform to his way? Trying to make him conform to what's easy for us is the law of expedience at work in our religious life. And God hates it. How bad does he hate it? Look at verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you. He says, cancel the worship. Isaiah, through Isaiah, the Lord says, stop trampling through my courts. Get out of here. I would rather have silence than blasphemy. God hates expediency. Now, folks, when we put these three things together and think about this text, and I've been mulling this over all week, the rejects, the burdens, keeping the promises in the cheapest currency, we get a rather up-to-date picture. God's people who made some commitment to the Lord, some vow, some kind, whether a special one or just generally as I belong to him, begin to find him to be a burden. And so trying to find a way to fulfill the obligations, not just back off and say, I lied, but to put, fulfill the obligations in the cheapest currency possible. The convenient leftover pieces of our lives and our resources. Whatever is expedient. Folks, I must tell you, that's what's driving much of the church in American Christianity. How can we get people to a church service? How can we fill the squares for God? Well, we've got to make sure it doesn't conflict with anything. It doesn't conflict with the really important things, the, the social commitments, the leisure activities, the sporting events, the family outings. Maybe if we have lots of services where they have lots of choices. Maybe if we even have it on Saturday night. I mean, worship on Saturday is fine. Got to make it convenient. Got to have something entertaining for the kids. Maybe you ought to have a coffee bar where you can pick up breakfast on your way in. That it would take hardly any extra time. Wish we did have a coffee bar, but not for the law of expediency. And then when we get people to a worship service, how can we make it as brief and as fast-moving, as exciting as possible, so that there will not be one minute that people have to sit and reflect on something serious no one will ever have to span centuries of, of, of culture to sing an old hymn that sounds strange to our ears or rigorously apply our mental powers like we're at school or something and actually think. That's how the law of expediency works. If we have some small group activities, you don't want a leader-led uh, study of some biblical theological thing. Oh, people don't want that. Instead, we need to have a freewheeling discussion where everyone's opinion is equally good and focus on felt needs. I I'm lonely. I feel depressed. 
I, I, I don't think I know my friends very well. I need more self-esteem. Uh, my kids are driving me nuts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What I feel. Now put all that together and get lots of staff greasing the wheels and keeping all the programs working to have all of these things going where it'll meet everybody's need and where it'll be exciting and wonderful and attractive and easy and convenient for everybody else. And what do you have? You've got classic American Christianity. That's what it looks like in every state, across every denominational line. This is the, this is the Christianity of our day. This is the norm. And in this text, God says, it makes me sick. I hate it. He said, would somebody have the courage to stand up and lock the door and cancel the service? And he lays the responsibility at the feet of the leader who gave people what they wanted, would not stand up for the truth in the face of the opinion poll. Folks, Weiser Lake Chapel isn't immune to this. Every one of us, me too, would rather do what's convenient. Every one of us is looking for a shortcut. Every one of us wants to have our own way. Every one of us wants to make God adjust to us. Every one of us has the law of expediency, raising its ugly head all the time in us. And God says, be careful. Be careful. I am the Lord. So what does God want? Well, that brings us to the second truth that's woven throughout the passage alongside the first. God deserves honor. God deserves honor. You know, given the mindset of our day, as we've said, all these things that we've talked about uh, don't make much sense in our day. I mean, if it gets the job done, why not do it? If it fills the square, do it. If it's easier, do it. What difference does it make when it's done? When, when that lamb is laying on the altar burning up into charcoal, what difference does it make whether his legs were crippled or not when you put him on there? Well, what difference does it make? He'll be burned to ashes. What difference does it make? Only one thing it could possibly be that makes a difference to God. Apart from him, it certainly doesn't make any difference. But he is worthy of honor because of who he is. Our text says that several times. It says in verse 6, it starts off, A son honors his father, serving his master, if I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. Here honor is described in household terms. God deserves to be honored as a son honors his father, as a daughter honors her father. God deserves to be honored as a servant honors his master. Because we have the tremendous privilege of praying our Father who art in heaven, because we have the tremendous privilege of 
calling Jesus our Lord, the flip side of that is that we have the obligation to honor him as a father, to honor him as a master, a Lord. And you can see here the importance of teaching our children then to respect and honor parents. For if we don't require our children's respect, they're going to grow up not understanding what it is God demands of them. For God demands parental kind of honor. We see it again in verse 8 and 9. And bring the blind animals for sacrifice, etc., etc., try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? And later in verse 14, for I am a great king, the Lord says. We understand something of the honor that is due to a governor, to some public official. God says, I deserve to be honored like that. Not just like a father, not just like the master of a servant. I deserve to be honored like your governor. The governor was a fairly low-ranking uh, leader. And he says later, no, I am the great king. A term that's used for the, for the, the sovereign king of uh, the whole Persian empire. The Lord says, I am like your highest leader. I deserve that kind of honor. You know how to honor those leaders, don't you? If you, if you had an audience of the President of the United States, even if you didn't like him, you would know how to treat him with respect, wouldn't you? If you were called into a courtroom, even if you were the one, guilty one there, you would know how to act with respect, wouldn't you, to a judge? God says, I want that kind of honor. Try dealing with the government sometimes, according to the laws of expediency that we reply to God. Try telling the IRS, well, I just can't make ends meet, but I'll send you a couple bucks when it's convenient. <laughs> Try missing a court date and telling the judge, well, I my kids had a birthday party. <laughs> God is worthy of honor. He deserves to be honored even more than any public official, for he is the great king. Here again, we see the importance of teaching our children to honor and obey, in this case, civil authority, for it's derived of God, it's cut from the same cloth, it sets a pattern, how we honor authority, our children don't learn that, how are they going to learn to honor God like a great king? God deserves honor. Let me see it one more time in verse 11. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. One writer says verse 11 is the central theme of the prophet's whole discourse in this passage. In this verse, Malachi looks all the way to the end and he says, make no mistake, God will be honored. Why should we honor him? Because honor is inevitable. He will be honored. He is the Lord Almighty. His honor does not rest on the good intentions of the priest. It does not rest on the convenience of the congregation. 
It does not rest on anybody's ability to, to bring enough and to do, do enough. No, he is the Lord Almighty and he will be honored in the whole earth. God has declared it to be so. Those two great lessons. God disdains expediency. He hated it in ancient Israel and he hates it in the church today. But you see, the truth is, all of our religion is tainted with expediency, isn't it? We don't offer lambs for the altar anymore, but everything we do offer is tainted. Did you ever sing a hymn without your mind wandering off and forgetting about the most important, wonderful things you were singing? Have you never gone to sleep in the middle of your praying? Have you never gotten restless in the midst of a sermon saying, what is it, just quit, this is getting to be a burden? All of our worship is tainted by this law of expediency. God despises every blemished act of worship. What hope is there? Oh, just this. There is one whose offering has not been an expedient offering. The Father has offered sacrifice for us, the unblemished Lamb of God, in the place of our pitiful acts of worship. The perfect eternal Son to pay back what we could not pay. God has done it for us. And so now, more than ever, we need to honor him. Not just in some generic sense that we recognize God as the creator and give thanks to him for his goodness and his power. God demands that we honor his son. Now Malachi spoke here at the end about God being honored as the great king, but he certainly did not understand what he was predicting. He envisioned a day when people from all over the world, from where the sun sets to where it goes down, would all worship the Lord. He could never have known how that was going to come to pass, but we know it's in the Lord Jesus that Malachi's prophecies, uh, his words have come and are coming and will come to be uh, uh, true. Jesus is the one who broke down the walls between uh, Jew and Gentile so that a whole new body, which we call the church, could know the Lord and worship him. Jesus is the one who, who, who fulfilled all of the sacrifices and offered the one perfect sacrifice forever so that no others needed to be brought so that people can now worship him without any temple in any one place, wherever they are. Jesus is the one who sent his church out in the world to make disciples of all nations and all people from all languages and all cultures. And then these words will be completely fulfilled, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God deserves honor, for he is the Lord Almighty. He demands that we honor his Son. So this morning I call you to honor the Lord Jesus, to cease from your pursuit of your self-made righteousness, which is so filled with the expediency of doing what's convenient and to trust 
Him and rest in Him. And God requires that we do so, not according to the laws of expediency, wheeling and dealing and making a deal with God, but with simple, single-minded, heartfelt faith and love and respect and honor. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, as we think about these things, we realize that the law of expediency is our way of life. And we find it very difficult to honor anyone besides ourselves for very long. Oh, Father, if you had not offered a better sacrifice, if you had not given us a heart to trust you, Lord, we would have no hope. But I pray that having received such wonderful salvation, oh Lord, may we not return to these defiled ways of worshiping you after our own convenience and treating you with disrespect. But in Jesus, may our whole attitude be changed. May you be honored as, as you do. May you be worshipped according to your word. May that be evident, evident in us here at the chapel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.